worship God, what we're called to do, our whole life, not just here on Sunday mornings, not when we're just singing songs, but our lives dedicated to the honor and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'm looking forward today to continuing our uh, series in the book of Daniel. And uh, you ought to find that book in your Bible if you can. Um, it's in your Old Testament. Turn right. Uh, you'll find it there. It's the first of the... There's a whole list of, of the minor prophets. Go to the middle and turn right. You'll find it there. Um, the book of Daniel is what you're looking for. And uh, great, 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 great teaching from the book of Daniel for us as believers. Well, there was a group of us that used to meet on occasion and play basketball. And um, there was one particular gentleman who was there on this occasion... And he was, uh, uh, how can I say this gently? Um, he was old, okay? And, um, and we were all a little concerned, all right? But he jumped right in there, and we were playing five-on-five, full-court basketball, small court, okay? Not regulation, NBA size or anything like that. You know, small, little, I think it was like a church gym or something, so it was kind of short, but we were playing basketball, and this older gentleman was there. And as we played and played on and so forth, I, honestly, I started getting a little bit concerned, Okay, because he was he was really flushed. His face was red, and and you know he's very you know just perspiring a lot. Just very wet shirted. Okay, and then all of a sudden that just stopped. Okay, he wasn't sweating anymore, and it's like you know we're getting a little bit worried, and and so we're encouraging him to sit down and rest, <gasps> breathe like that. You know, I'll be okay. Oh, now I've got a problem. <clears throat> I might need a drink of water. <clears throat> Somebody can help me out. I really appreciate it. Brock, could you find it? Hey, thank you. Yes, I knew it was coming from your direction. Yeah, appreciate that, Brock. Yeah. <laughs> I'm offering him a drink of water. You know, I'm worried about it. Well, that day, I didn't know this, but this friend of mine, he was bothered by the fact that he couldn't play ball either. And so he committed that day that he was going to run a marathon. And he went out to the gym, okay, like a week later, and walked one time around the gym, one time, and was out of breath. But he committed. He was going to run a marathon. Now, he didn't talk to us about this. He didn't share this with me as a friend, you know, pray for me, nothing like that. But one time around the gymnasium, and he was out of breath and couldn't go any further. But continued to prepare. And worked at this, and worked at this, and worked at this. And a couple years later, I think it was two years later, in his late 60s, this gentleman who could not walk around the gym ran an ultra marathon. Do you know how many miles that is? A 50-mile race. Finished it in just over, you ready for this? Eight hours. I can hardly sit like in the couch and watch TV for eight hours, you know? Eight-hour race and finished it. What an example. What an example. But I tell you that story, I, I, I bring out that illustration because I want to just point something out to you. You know, he committed, I'm going to run a marathon. Now in his preparation, I guess he decided a marathon wasn't enough. So he would do an ultra marathon. But here's the deal. He committed to run that marathon. And the thing I want to challenge you with is this. Commitment without preparation leads to misery. You can make a commitment. You can decide, I'm going to do such and such. I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to be a godly husband. I'm going to have a marriage that honors God. 
But without preparation, without the adequate preparation for that commitment, you will be miserable. You can commit to run that marathon and show up on marathon day having not prepared and start out with all the gusto to run that marathon and about 500 yards later, you're going to be in misery. Am I right? Am I right? I stumbled across this principle recently in reading a book on, honestly, on marriage preparation and saw this concept and I thought, how fitting for us as followers of Christ. See, I look across the room here and I see people who I believe desire to live for Jesus in their world. I know that you want to live for Christ in your world. You believe that God has called you as a believer in Jesus, as a follower of Christ, to go into your world and have influence. Understanding the world isn't going to change, not till Jesus returns, but we can have influence in our world. I know that many, many of you desire to be in the world and not of it. To go into the world that God has given to you to live in and have influence. And I also know that it's difficult. It's a hard journey. I know. Regardless of the circumstance you're in. Regardless of what your co-workers are like. Maybe they're good guys or good gals or maybe they're bad guys or bad gals. I don't know. But wherever you are, wherever you are, You are surrounded by the world, is what the Bible calls it. This whole system that is opposed to God. And the Bible says the prince of the power of this earth is Satan. No other than the the great evil one, the devil. Who is opposing God and opposing all of his people. So here we are. Desiring to have influence in our world. Being called into the world that we are in. Opposed by a great amount of forces, okay? Opposed by people, opposed by the kingdom of the power, the prince of the power of this earth, opposed by our own flesh, what we're made of, longing for sin. We are opposed. And we're committed to live for Christ. But the thing we have to recognize, if we don't allow God to prepare us if we don't allow the Lord to prepare us to go into the world, there is nothing but misery ahead for us. And I don't believe that's what you want. And I know that isn't what God desires for you. The Lord Jesus Christ promised, He promised us life, abundant life, life to the full. And that doesn't mean all the lovely things that the world has to offer. That doesn't mean all the toys and the fun things. But it does mean, it does mean a sense of purpose. A sense of a joy in your relationship with Christ. It does mean that when you are living in the world opposed against God, that He is there with you. And Daniel is the perfect picture of that. Daniel is the perfect picture of what it looks like and how, it, how, it, how things operate when you're honoring, when you desire to honor God in a world that doesn't. To honor God in a world that does not honor Him. What does that look like and, and how does God prepare us? That's our topic. That's our topic. Now, I want to remind you of what we've talked about for Daniel. And 
the, the fellow nerds in the room, you should wake up, okay? Those that aren't into this kind of thing, you can go to sleep for the next couple of minutes. I just want to set the context, okay? I'll wake you up, all right? I'll do something to wake everybody up in just a minute. But I want to show you the context of what's going on in Daniel's life. And I know that's a lot of information, okay? Just relax, it'll be quick, okay? Understand that, that in Daniel's life, we're talking B.C., B.C., that's these numbers down here, before Christ. I want you to notice that they go, as they get higher, we're going further back in time, okay? Remember that, B.C., as the numbers get higher, you're going further back in time. And Daniel, who was born about right there, he was born about 620 B.C., about 620 years before Jesus came to earth, Daniel was born. And I want to just set the context because I want you to see and I want you to feel how opposed Daniel was in his world. And I want us to just taste a little bit of what it was like for Daniel. Okay? Now, Daniel was from the nation of Israel. He was an Israelite. He would have said Judah. He was of the nation of Judah. And they were a country that operated from about 100 to 586 B.C. But the world power at the time the, the, the world power that was, that was dominating every part of the existence that they knew was the, was the nation of Babylonia, the Babylonians. Habakkuk, which Pastor Billy read that, speaks of these Babylonian warriors. And this is God speaking to the prophet Habakkuk to his people in Judah about the Babylonians. And it spoke how they were, they were masters on the horse and masters with the bow. And they took things that didn't belong to them. And they, they came and they, they brought judgment on the nation of Israel. And so what happened was, in about 586, Babylonia, the Babylonians got tired of Israel and they took them out. They came into Judah and they ransacked it and they destroyed the temple. But I want you to see what, how all this played out in Daniel's life. You see, Daniel, when he was born, there was a guy named Josiah who was the king of Judah. And Josiah brought a revival in the nation of Israel. And Daniel would have been alive at the beginning of that revival. Daniel's life would have, would have been involved in that revival when, when people were turning to Yahweh, the Lord, in a real way. And just about 15 years after Daniel was born, this is when the Babylonians came. And they grabbed Daniel... And they grabbed these three friends of his and a whole other group of teenagers now and took them hundreds of miles from their home in Judah to the country of Babylonia. And it was a wicked, wicked nation. A wicked, wicked world that Daniel found himself in. Fifteen years old. We have some people in the room here that are just about fifteen years old. We're talking about a ninth grader in high school now. That's who we're talking about, Daniel, at this point in his life. He is ripped out of his homeland. He is taken away from his family. More than likely, I mean, there's no reason not to believe that his whole family would have been killed. There's no reason not to believe that he would have seen this, this horrible experience. He would have seen it firsthand. And he is picked up and thrown into Babylonia, now surrounded by false gods, False God worshipers. A, 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 a culture just totally enamored with sex, with opposition to God, with indulging every single appetite that you can imagine. This is what the Babylonians were all about. It was indulging the flesh. And Daniel finds himself there. 
and a sex-crazed, appearance-crazed, indulgent society. And there he is, Daniel and Babylonia. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylonia, finally got just completely tired of all of Israel. And so in 586, he came and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And now Daniel is now a follower of God in a foreign land. One of the very few in his culture who know truth about God. Who God is indwelling him. And we have recorded for us through Daniel chapters 1 through 6 some of the events of Daniel's life. Daniel 1 and 2 and 3 take place in the early years of his life. Okay? When he was a young man, 18, 20, 25 years old. 1, 2, 3. We see that. In the middle of his life, we have chapter 4. We'll look at that in detail. And towards the end, 5 and 6, the end of Daniel's life, there's now been a complete change politically in all of the land. Babylonia is history. The Babylonians are gone. And now the Medo-Persians are ruling. And Daniel finds himself there as well. You see, in the life of Daniel we find someone living in the world and not of it. And we need to recognize it is very much like us today. Do you feel opposed? If you stand for Christ in your world, will there be opposition? I know there will be. If you do like Daniel in chapter 6 when he prays, he's told, you can't pray here. You're not allowed to pray here. That's now against the, against the law. Punishable by death. And Daniel says, I'm a man of prayer. I'm a follower of God. And so he prays. He's arrested. He's tried. He's found guilty and sentenced to execution. As bad as we may feel that it is, we're not there. We're not there. At least not here. At least not here. Go to Afghanistan. Go to Iran. Speak up for Christ there. Claim to be a follower of Jesus there. You will be arrested. You will be tried. You will be sentenced to execution. And you are very likely experiencing it. But can I tell you this? Pastor John taught us last week in focus group. The two countries where Christianity is growing at the highest rate on the whole planet right now the highest growth rate of any nation on the world today. Number one, who is it? Iran. Number two, where is it? Afghanistan. Isn't that amazing? Highest growth rate of Christianity of any country in the world. Number one, Iran. Number two, Afghanistan. What do we learn? What do we learn from this? When believers are opposed... When believers are opposed, God shows up and influences the world that they're in. Okay, let's go to the book of Daniel now. All right, let's jump into verse number eight. We saw last week that Daniel is away from home, away from family, away from tradition. He's in a strange country, strange religion, strange people. And not only that, he's given praise. He's, he's spoken of, you can see it here in verse number four. He's said to be without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in wisdom. 
So he is being praised, this 15-year-old. Oh, you're nice looking. You're smart. You got it all together. Just come be one of us. Just come be one of us, they invite Daniel. Come be one of us. We'll give you the world. We'll give you riches. We'll place you in power. Just come be one of us. You got what it takes, man. You're nice looking. You're smart. You're, you're wise. Come be one of us, he's invited. The Babylonians call to him. He's got a few friends with him. I want you to notice this in verse number 6. Among these youths that were good-looking, smart, without blemish, skillful, among these were Daniel, not Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Four teenagers who are living for Christ, who are now a group of others who have been pulled into Babylonia, and they're going to live for Jesus. What's it look like? What's it look like? The first thing I want you to see is that the Lord prepared Daniel. The Lord prepared Daniel, and Daniel resolved to trust Him. The Lord prepared Daniel, and Daniel resolved to trust Him. Look at verse number 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So understand what's happening here. Daniel and his three friends are brought into this special circumstance, this, this special school, you might say. And they're going to be given everything that Babylonia has to offer. Everything it has to offer, they will be provided. The learning, the culture experience, the, the food, the drink, they're given it all. They're being groomed, you see. Daniel and his three friends are being groomed. What the Babylonians would do is they would take these teenagers, they would groom them and they would teach them and they would instruct them in the ways of the world and then they would take these young men and they would send them back to the country they were taken from as sort of puppet rulers. See, they would indoctrinate them. They would indoctrinate them to think like them, to be like them, to act like them and then send them back into the world to rule over their own people. I mean, it's a great idea if you're trying to rule over other people. It would really work. And listen, there was nothing wrong with Daniel learning many of the things that they learned. Daniel learned about the the literature of the day. There's nothing wrong with that. He learned about the culture of their world. There was nothing wrong with that. There were many things that they offered for Daniel and there was nothing wrong with many of these things. But there was one place where Daniel drew the line. He drew the line. And you and I as believers have got to draw the line. We've got to draw the line where we will say no. I mean, I can, I can be a football fan, okay? I can, I can work out. I can read books. I can learn things and I can understand things that that even our wicked culture knows all about. I can know these things, but I must draw the line the same place that Daniel did. And God had prepared him for this. God had prepared him. And so at verse number 8, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with something with the one thing that was sin. He resolved. The word resolved is an interesting word. It means to commit. 
It means to, to set down. It literally means to plant in the ground. It's to take a seed and stick it in the ground. So Daniel's hearing all of this teaching. He's hearing all these things. He's being influenced, yes. But he comes to the place where he says, no. I will drive a stake in the ground. I will not go beyond this point. God had prepared him for that. You might ask the question, what's the big deal with this food? It says here in verse number 8, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Now we need to know what this means. What does this mean, the king's food? Well, first of all, let me tell you what this word means. The word, later on, we're going to say that he would eat only vegetables in verse number 12. Test your service for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat. So is this a biblical call to vegetarianism? Is that what this is? No. No. Literally what this was is the word means to be grown from a seed is what it means. Daniel is now saying, I will only eat food that is grown from a seed. So this would include vegetables, and that's how the ESV translates it. But, but other words that, that other things that fit this word would be fruits, grains, and things that you grow or that you make from grains, so breads and those kinds of things. Now what's the significance here? What's the significance? Why is Daniel appealing to only eat things that are grown from seed? Well, you find it in Leviticus chapter 7. Leviticus chapter 7. Okay, why don't you turn there if you can. Okay, that's the third book of your Bible. Leviticus chapter 7. We see here what the big deal is with this food. You see, Daniel's in a, in a crazy world. People are opposed, the culture is now opposed to God. And he's enmeshed in it. He is in it. And there comes a line that he will not cross. And we see it in Leviticus chapter 7, verses 19 and following. Look at verse 19, chapter 7, Leviticus. God here, speaking through Moses, says to his people that were under the Mosaic covenant, he says, Flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned up with fire. All who are clean may eat flesh. But the person who eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, while an uncleanness is on him, that person shall be cut off from his people. In the last phrase, in verse number 21, notice what it says. And these people who eat some flesh from the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, so all these, these warnings about unclean things, this phrase comes up again. That person shall be cut off from his people. You see, under the Mosaic Law, God had established these rules for what the people under that covenant would eat. Daniel was under the Mosaic Covenant. That meant he, his diet needed to follow the law that God had given him in Leviticus. Now, we're no longer under that covenant. That was a covenant for the nation of Israel in that time. But Daniel was under that covenant. And so he knew that this food, we might call it kosher, wasn't kosher. He knew that this food would not be made in a way that followed the law of God. And so he said at that point, no. 
I resolve I will not eat this food. As God is my witness, He says, I will not defile myself with this food. Daniel is seized and surrounded by a world that opposes Christ. And there there comes a time in his life where he must commit, be resolved before the Lord, and say, no. I will read your books. I will learn your math. I will learn your astronomy. I will will follow your plan for my body. Okay, I'll work out and run and be in shape. I'll learn how the laws work of your land. He says he'd be be fit to stand before the king. Verse number 4 says. So I I will learn all of these things. I will understand all of this. But I will not defile myself. Listen, there comes a time in every man's life, in every woman's life, where we get to that point. You know it when you're there. Maybe you're there right now in your world. You know, you've been clocking in, you've been doing your job, you've been doing what what your boss asks you to do, you're going to the school that you go to and you're, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're on the ball team and you're working hard and you're doing all that. But there comes a point in the locker room, in the classroom, in the break room, where your God is going to clearly indicate to you, going to remind you of how He's prepared you And you and I have got to be like Daniel and resolve that I will not defile myself. Listen, if you get to that moment, if you're not there today, okay? If you're not there today, if you get to that moment and you haven't allowed God to prepare you, if you're not walking in an intimacy with Christ, if you're not connected to a body of believers, if you don't have relationships with other men and other women who are prodding you on, I'm telling you, if you arrive at that moment and you're not prepared, your commitment will mean nothing and you will be in misery. You will be in misery. And you will be torn apart by that moment. Daniel wasn't. And I pray that you are allowing yourself to be prepared. I've spoken with people who are you know, out working the jobs that you work, in the communities where you work, and shopping where you work, and going to school where you go to school, all that. Okay? I've spoken with people, and they'll, they'll say to me, you know, Pastor Lowell, it's just so hard to live for Jesus out there. I've I've had people of all ages say to me, you don't know how it is anymore. You don't know how it is. Because you work, you know, in that little office and you got Pastor Billy to deal with. Wow, yeah, but but you don't know what it's like. 
You don't know what it's like out there. And they'll say to me, there's nobody, there's nobody who lives for Christ in my workplace anymore. There's nobody there. There's nobody at my school. There's nobody at my team. If I stand up for Jesus and really be a follower of Christ, you don't know what's going to happen. And listen, I've had people in public schools, Christian schools, home schools say the same thing to me. So don't think the environment makes it go away. I've had people in, in workplaces that were small, workplaces that were large, say the same thing to me. I've had people who are in families that follow Christ and families that don't, and they say the same things to me. In fact, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's not me talking. That's Paul in the first, first Timothy chapter 6. So no matter where you are, no matter what environment you're in, there comes a time. There comes a time where you're going to have to suit up, plant the stake, and resolve. And at that point, at that moment, your commitment... Your commitment at that second, it's valuable. It's important. If I could, I would applaud it when you did it, when you committed. But in reality, that commitment without preparation results in misery. Be prepared now. Be prepared now. Now, I remember one time, it was 1990, I had an M16A2 in my hands. I'm down in a hole, a round hole. This is how we fired M16s when I was in the Army. You got down in a hole, you were like this level, and you would shoot, I'll shoot over here, okay? Firing at a target downrange. Pop-up targets, okay? They come up and you try to knock them down with your m 16 I'm there firing away. Okay? 20 round clip. 20 targets come up. Got to take them down. Then I just got to switch out clips and fire 20 more times. I'm, I'm qualifying now. Okay? This means I've got to pass. I got to hit 28 of the 40 targets or I have to like repeat basic training. Okay? I'd like to do a whole lot better than that. I'd like to hit 36 out of 40 or even more than that. 38 out of 40 and be an expert marksman. That'd be great. I'm firing. I remember like around like maybe around number 30. I'm in the second magazine. I get this weird taste in my mouth. I don't know what it is. It's, it's a little bitter. But I don't have time to stop. The next target's coming, right? So I keep firing. Once we finished all 40 rounds, the drill sergeant now comes up and down the pits, okay? And he's yelling at everybody. He comes to my pit, says, Private McDonald, you're still sergeant. Get out of that hole. So I jump out. I don't know what's going on. Stand in attention, Private. So I'm standing Parade rest. So there I stand, okay? Arms behind my back. I can't, I can't move. Gathers the whole platoon around me, okay? This is one of his moments. There's like 60 men standing around me, okay? He says, Private McDonald. Starts asking me all these questions about the M16. 
Okay? What should you do then? What should you do now? And I can't remember the questions. It's been too long. But he asked me a series of questions. And then he stopped. He says, Private McDonald, stick your right hand in the air. I put my right hand in the air. He said, Private McDonald, wipe your nose with your right hand. And I'm like, okay, drill sergeant. So I wipe my hand across my nose, and it's covered with blood. The taste that I was tasting, I don't know what happened with my M16, but every shot I fired, the charge handle went pop, 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 and I'm getting blasted in the nose every single time. Boom, boom, boom. And you know what? I kept firing. I kept firing. 40 rounds. Blood, my, my t-shirt is just covered with blood. And I kept firing. And the drill sergeant used that one example to say what to the men? Say what to the, what to the company? You are being prepared for something so that when the bullets start flying, what do you do? You keep doing what you were prepared to do. Listen, when the bullets start flying, when in the break room the words are said, when on the team everybody else is opposing Christ, when at school or, or some other workplace, when they pull out the magazine or something, at that moment, your preparation is what's going to make all the difference. Daniel had been prepared. God, the Lord, prepared him, and Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Just quickly now, let's get through, because I've got to get through chapter 1 here. Not only did the Lord prepare him, but God, God sustained him. Let's read on. Let's read on. Because this, this is an awesome story. God prepared him beforehand, and now God's going to sustain him. So Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food, or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, now notice what Daniel does. He asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now Daniel had already resolved he would not defile himself. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to defile myself, no matter the cost. You say, would Daniel go to his death over this? Would Daniel be willing to go to his death? Well, I'll put it in their terms. Would Daniel be willing to put in the lion's den over this? Yeah, he did it. He did it. So he had resolved himself that he would not defile himself. But the way he did it was, the way he was going to play this out is he goes to the chief of the eunuchs. And he asked him not to defile himself. And God gave, verse 9, see God sustaining. God is there always. He never leaves. He never forsakes. God sustains him. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So the chief of the eunuch liked him. He liked this Jewish kid that they hated that they destroyed their nation. He liked him. He had compassion on him. And the chief of the eunuchs said this, Listen, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. He says, man, I put my own self at risk. If I let you do this, if I let you not eat from the king's table and drink the king's drink, my head is on the chopping block. I, I don't know about this, Daniel. I don't know. Daniel didn't give up. See, God sustained him. God sustained him. So then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel. Now we've got another 
it's like there's another character that's come in now. The eunuch is like, I don't know. So now the steward that's over Daniel comes to the scene. And Daniel said to the steward, to whom the chief eunuch's head assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their Jewish names, the Lord, God. Daniel now is with his buddies, man. He's with his crew of men, his band of brothers. You see him there? They're bound together. Listen, you need other believers. You've got to have other believers. Those people that tell me nobody lives for the Lord from my workplace, and I'll say to them, if it's so tough in your environment, why aren't you at church? Why aren't you with the body of believers? You need it more than me. You need it. You need to be with believers. So he's there with them. And he says this to the steward, test your servants. Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given only things growing from the seed to eat and water to drink. And let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. I love Daniel's faith. He says, try it out. Try it out, steward. Try it out. Now let me tell you this. Some of you know where the story's going to go. Some of you do. But Daniel doesn't. Not at this point. He has no idea what's going to happen. Oh, you know, you know, you've read, you've read, you've seen the veggie tales, you know what's going to happen. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. And listen, he is, his life is on the line, and he is willing to pay the ultimate price to not defile himself. See, that stake is in the ground. He has nailed that thing in the ground now. He's not budging. If this was a, if this was a, a movie or something or a, a television, right now there'd be a, a commercial break. There'd be a pregnant pause in your living room as you're watching. <gasps> What's going to happen? There'd be a downy commercial or something. I don't know. Verse 14. So he listened to them in this matter. He tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who had ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them only things grown from the seed. And I'm telling you, though it doesn't say it here, I'm telling you because Daniel is a man made of flesh like you and me. Daniel was a human just like you and me. And right now, he was overwhelmed by two emotions. Two emotions that I want to invite you to. Two emotions were his. First was relief. Wow. That was close, was it not, guys? Man, that was close. Relief. But secondly, and right behind it, was a joy and an adventure, a, a, a pleasure that he was radically living for his God. He was now doing what God designed him to do. And it was, the, it was one of the greatest moments of his life to step out by faith and to feel and to see the presence of God there. 
Listen, I don't know what your faith step is, but I'm telling you, you need to walk by faith and experience the relief of, oh, God came through for us. I will praise Him. And joy when God is on the line. When God must come through and then He gets all the credit and you and I get all the joy. Those are great moments. When God gets all the credit and you and I get all the joy. And that's what Daniel experienced. As God sustained him and Daniel had the joy of the Lord. Look at Romans 14. I'll put it up on the screen, I believe. It says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not really about eating and drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, once in a while, my wife and I will watch a television program or something. And we'll watch it and, and you know, these people are living their lives and, and you know, they're just, they're trying with all their might to, to have joy, to have peace, to have what, what God intends. And just the other night we're watching a program it's, it's, it's a climax of the story, okay? And I paused it. As these people are, you know, they're at this moment of decision and they don't know what they're going to do. Paused it. And I said to Nancy, these people need the Lord. They need the Lord. Now, they're fictional, okay? They're not real, I know. But it represents people today who are just searching for joy and they're searching for purpose and they're searching for something. Jesus says, come follow me. Come on the journey of faith. Step out here and trust me. Go ahead and speak up in your workplace. Go ahead and be the one person on the team who really does live for Christ. You'll be the one Stand up and work hard and be the one who leads your other teammates. Call them all together and you pray. Don't wait for Pastor Brock on your team to do it. You do it. You pray. You lead. Be the one in your workplace where everybody else is, you know, just the chicken little running around like, oh, the sky is falling. And you be the one to show them the hope that's in you. You let that come out of you. Let it bubble out of you as God has prepared you. And let the overflow of your heart just sustain all of them with your faith. God sustains. And just to wrap up, it won't take time, but let's just read the rest of it. Verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. They were straight-A students. They worked hard. They did everything as unto the Lord. School starts this week. You're a follower of Christ. You need to do it all as unto the Lord. Give it all you got. Don't, Don't bring negativity on the name of Jesus. They gave it all they had. And not only that, Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of that time, what is that time? Do you remember? And at the end of that time, we've had two times referenced so far. The first was a 10-day sort of test. Do you remember the other time? 
three years. Three years go by. That's a lot of days. That's a lot of opposition. That's a lot of living for Christ in a world that wants nothing to do with God. At the end of that time, when the king now commanded they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all them, none were found. Like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. That doesn't mean they stood there once. Nebuchadnezzar was so moved by God working in these people's lives that he elevated them to a great position of influence. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of the king of Cyrus. He outdid them all. He outlived them all. What I want you to see here, my last point, is that the Lord commissioned Daniel. He commissioned him. You go into the world. You go make disciples. You go be a light in a dark world. You go be a light to the Gentiles. You might ask, did it work? Did Daniel have any influence? Can I just show you something that's kind of neat? You're in Daniel 1, right? In verse number 20, it says, And in the matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that run all the kingdom. See the word magician? Now, that's not, you know, hocus pocus, pull a you know, rabbit out of a hat. That's not what that is. Okay? You, you've seen these guys before. You know their descendants. They didn't go by magicians. No, no, no. Over the next six centuries, their title shortened from magicians to magi. Magi. In Matthew chapter 2, a group of magi show up in Bethlehem. And what do they say when they come? Where is the king of the Jews? I ask you, where did these Persian magi ever hear that the king of the Jews would be born in Bethlehem? I'll tell you where. They heard from Daniel. Mishael. Azariah. That's where they hurt. You see, God uses just regular old people like you, like me, like us. He doesn't change the world. If you're waiting on the world to change, you're going to wait a long time. He doesn't change the world until He comes back. But He uses people like us to have influence in the lives. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank You for the example we see of how You work in a life. 
God, you prepare us for whatever environment we're in. Wherever we are, you prepare us to be a vocal witness for you. Give us courage, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would resolve and commit today to not be defiled by what the world offers. And Lord, sustain us. Sustain us for the long periods where you're silent and we wait. Sustain us by your presence, Lord. And may we have great influence as we live out your call to be you in the world that we're in. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.